Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Happy Friday, football fans, and welcome into another edition of of the Chase Podcast. I'm Isaac Sines and I thank you for joining me. In today's episode, I preview week 16 slate of games and share my predictions for each matchup. The Chargers tied the Chiefs atop the AFC West following another stellar road performance last week and are now focused on Baltimore. Head coach Anthony Lynn says defending Lamar Jackson is a tall task for their defense due to his dual threat ability. You're playing a team that's really unconventional compared to what we've seen all year you know with their with their rushing attack and there's so many schemes and uh, the way they're using a quarterback you know they're using a quarterback like a running back and uh you know that, that makes it difficult for a defense you have to be disciplined you have to be in your gaps and so uh it's, it's, it's a lot to prepare for the Steelers are fresh off a big victory and are now looking to topple the NFC's top team in New Orleans while they are still buzzing from their strong performance against New England Ramon Foster knows they must refocus with the talented Saints team ahead. We got two more solid games we got to dig into also. So, uh, does it feel good? Well, I enjoy it, yes. But New Orleans is no joke either. The Chiefs lost their third game of the season in Week 15, but know they still control their own destiny to secure a first-round bye. Kansas City will now travel to Seattle to take on the Seahawks, and head coach Andy Reid looks forward to playing in a hostile environment. That's, that's what you want. You work hard for that. And um, so it will be. It'll be a great atmosphere. It's a great place to play. It's loud and uh, a lot of energy there. So look forward to it. I will discuss all that and more coming up in the latest episode of the Chase Podcast.
It is Friday, December 21st here on the Chase Podcast. I thank you once again for taking the time to tune in to the latest episode. We got a lot of good games on week 16 slate, including a couple of games on Saturday, and then we move into Sunday. And then after this, we only have one more week of the NFL regular season, and we'll be on to playoffs. So things are starting to get interesting and a lot of key matchups that carry massive postseason implications for seeding, home field advantage, etc. And so on that note, I have three games that I want to preview today and provide some in-depth analysis. And then I'll go ahead and run through the rest of the games and give my score predictions and I'm also going to give my prediction for Monday night's game between the Oakland Raiders and the Denver Broncos. Now, typically, I have a Monday podcast episode that includes a separate preview of the Monday night game on top of my high flyer, top denier, and under fire segment. But because it is Christmas week, it'll be Christmas Eve, and uh, I will be out of town. I'm not going to have an episode on Monday, so therefore, I'm going to include that game in today's episode so let's go ahead and get rolling shall we the first matchup that i want to preview is the eight and six baltimore ravens at the 11 and three los angeles chargers this is one of the saturday games this is the nightcap 8 20 p.m eastern time this game is shaping up to be a dandy between two very good teams that are playing good football at this point in the year the baltimore ravens of course with lamar jackson are four in one since he took over as the starting quarterback and then the los angeles chargers who have put together a pair of unlikely wins this season on the road week 13 in pittsburgh as they rallied from a 23 to 7 halftime deficit and won on a field goal as time expired and then last thursday They were down 14 points three times at Arrowhead Stadium, including with under four minutes left, but still found a way to win 29-28 to clinch a playoff spot and tie the Chiefs atop the AFC West. Mike Williams had himself a night with Keenan Allen, who was ruled out with the hip injury. Of course, Melvin Gordon and Austin Eckler were not active, so Phillip Rivers you got to give him a ton of credit as well as Anthony Lynn for taking that aggressive approach and going for two. This team is very dangerous right now and they are a contender in the AFC. The Ravens, if they win out, they will at worst be the AFC's second wildcard team. They knocked off the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 20-12 to in week number 15. Jackson threw for 131 and a touchdown, but it's been his running ability that makes the difference as he went for nearly 100 yards on the ground on 18 attempts. Gus Edwards, the running back who few people had even heard of a little over a month ago, continued his surprising play with 104 yards and a touchdown on 19 carries. So now let's go ahead and take a look at a couple of key matchups here that I have outlined. The Ravens rushing attack against the Chargers run defense. So segueing right into this matter this time, the battle in the trenches between Baltimore and Los Angeles. 
The Ravens rank second in rushing offense. They're averaging 142 yards per game with a healthy 4.3 yards per carry average. And get this, no quarterback in NFL history had ever rushed for 70-plus yards in five straight games before until Jackson did it in his first five starts, carrying the ball 26, 11, 17, 14, and 18 times in each of those games. And as I just mentioned, that effect is being felt everywhere on this Baltimore offense. Since Jackson has taken over at the helm for Joe Flacco, Baltimore, they're averaging 4.9 yards per carry the last five weeks after previously averaging 3.6. So that's quite the increase. And then how about this big stat line to put these last five games into perspective? The Ravens have... 1,152 yards rushing on 234 carries over the last five games. Now the Chargers, they rank ninth in run defense, so they are no slouch either. They're front of Joey Bosa, Darius Fillon, Brandon Meebane, and Melvin Ingram. While yes, the Chargers get talked a lot about Bosa and Ingram, and I'll talk more about them directly here in a couple of minutes. But the interior play of the Chargers defense has been very solid and consistent all year long. Falone and McBain, unfortunately, they lost Corey Legit to the season, who provided them with some tremendous depth. They lost Denzel Perryman, the inside linebacker. But Jatavis Brown, along with a couple of other unlikely sources there in L.A., have stepped up big time, and they've been able to help this Chargers Defense control opposing teams' rushing attacks. And now for Baltimore, their offensive line has been one of the better ones in the NFL, although they don't get the same amount of credibility as the Saints offensive line, as the Colts offensive line. But when they're healthy, they got Ronnie Stanley, Alex Lewis, Matt Skura, Marshall Yanda, and the rookie Orlando Brown there at right tackle. This is a unit that has been very dominant at the line of scrimmage, very physical, which is a rub-off of John Harbaugh coach teams. And so I feel like this matchup is going to go a long way if the Ravens want to have any chance at pulling off the upset on the road at StubHub Stadium. They're going to have to continue controlling the ball for large amounts of time. I know Baltimore, they have the defense to stop any offense in the NFL, but Phillip Rivers, who should be getting his top offensive playmakers back, he's not going to have to worry about playing in the frigid cold weather. He'll be a lot more comfortable there in L.A. So Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, Gus Edwards, and this offensive line is really going to have to put their best foot forward in hopes of continuing their success on the ground. Now the next matchup here, we're going to flip it now. The Chargers passing attack against the Ravens secondary. Under Ken Wisenhunt, the Chargers rank 8th in passing, averaging 270 yards per game. As I mentioned at the beginning of the segment, Keenan Allen, who missed most of the game against Kansas City after falling hard on that hip injury, he's expected to play on Saturday, barring any setbacks. So look for Phillip Rivers to get his favorite target backs. That's only going to help his cause. Rivers, 37 years old. 
but yet this guy is having a career year 3951 yards passing 31 touchdowns and eight interceptions with a 69.4 completion percentage which is the second best in his career going back to 2013 when he had 69.5 but he's finally winning the games that have really hindered and tainted his career as a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. It looks like in 2018, Philip Rivers has revitalized himself. He looks rejuvenated. This is a guy that's showing fire, passion, and of course that clutch gene where he's won some impressive ball games when his team has had their backs up against the wall. Allen, 88 receptions, 1,074 yards, 6 touchdowns. So again, when this guy is fully healthy, and that's not always the case, he is a nightmare for opposing defenses to have to game plan for. Now, Baltimore, they rank third in pass defense and one of the best defenses overall. And one thing with Don Martindale's defense is that they're very aggressive at the line of scrimmage. They come at you. They're press cover cornerbacks. And they're one week removed from limiting Tampa Bay's top-ranked passing attack to just 241 total yards of offense. Now, there's no guarantee on how Martindale is going to play Allen and Mike Williams, who went off for a nice evening against Kansas City, a pair of touchdowns. But I would assume that both starting corners, Marlon Humphrey, who continues to come into his own as one of the better young corners in the NFL, and Brandon Carr, both guys will likely see each receiver depending on the play call and the package that they line up in. Unlike Kansas City and most teams, Baltimore, they have long rangy corners on both sides of the field that match up well with physical wide receivers. So this is going to be something to watch because Mike Williams, if you didn't see him against the Chiefs, he bullied his way into the end zone going up to get that 50-50 ball. But going up against Humphrey or Carr, even Jimmy Smith, who's a third corner, these guys are all six foot plus with long arms and they can handle physicality very well. So this is going to be a key. And then, of course, you look at the other aspect of Baltimore's secondary, Eric Weddle and Tony Jefferson. When both of those veterans are healthy and on the field next to each other, I don't know if I can think of another safety tandem that I'd rather have than these two pros. These guys, they are students of the game. Everything you read about them, their work ethic, high football IQ, they're constantly watching film. They know the tendencies. And here's another nugget of information. Eric Weddle, he's playing his former team, the Chargers. And boy, does he know Rivers very well and his tendencies in the passing game. So I'm just going to say, don't be surprised if you see Eric Weddle come away with an interception just because he knows the way Phillip Rivers operates and tries to look off opposing safeties. So this is another fun thing to watch. Eric Weddle, mind you, he didn't leave Los Angeles or San Diego at the time on good terms with ownership. So you know he's had this game circled on his calendar since the schedule was released at the beginning of the season. So this matchup... Chargers passing attack versus Baltimore secondary will be big because if the Chargers can find a rhythm to the air 
with Allen back in the mix. Antonio Gates, who showed glimpses of his old self last week. Then Baltimore, their chances of controlling the ball in offense and getting the ball to Lamar Jackson, it's going to continue to make it a hard-pressed task to accomplish, which is trying to knock off this very good, well-rounded Chargers team. Now, the last matchup here that I want to talk about in this game is the Los Angeles Chargers pass rush against the Baltimore pass rush. Now, obviously, these guys do not face each other on the field because they're on at different times, right? But I feel like the pass rushing unit that can generate the most pressure and come away with the most sacks and pass defenses will win this game for their team. You look at the Chargers, Melvin Ingram, Joey Bosa, that duo, they combined for 11 sacks on the season. Now, of course, Bosa missed the first 14 weeks with that foot injury. As I say, he continues to move along. He's getting into game condition. It looks like he's getting ultra close to playing at his peak level. And for Gus Bradley and Los Angeles, they're going to have to corral Jackson in the pocket to make him uncomfortable. If they can neutralize him in that way, they're going to set themselves up for success because no defense through five weeks has been able to really bluster Jackson and completely take away what he likes to do on the ground. And for Baltimore, you look at their pair of edge rushers, Terrell Suggs, the ageless wonder, and Matthew Judon, who's been very disruptive this season. Both of those guys have combined for 14 sacks on the year, and Kansas City, they were able to get pressure in Rivers' face last Thursday with Justin Houston and D. Ford. And take a look at the game film. It slowed him down big time where Rivers just was throwing up passes in desperation. And that's what led to a pair of interceptions in the red zone. So you just know Baltimore is going to be aggressive coming after Phillip Rivers. But in the end, when looking at this matchup as a whole, I have a hard time picking against the Los Angeles Chargers. They've solidified themselves as bona fide contenders in the AFC. 11 wins on the year. And the fact that they're playing in LA, and I know they don't have the most hostile home crowd because they play at StubHub, a soccer stadium, and they've struggled with fan revenue and things like that. But what I'm trying to say is, is they're not playing in Baltimore in frigid temperatures and that type of atmosphere. And so I give that a nod and an edge to the Chargers in this game with them getting their players back fully healthy. Melvin Gordon, I know it's going to be tough sledding going up against this Ravens defense, but I like for the Chargers to squeeze out a tight victory over the Ravens 23-17 to get their 12th win of the season, and they'll continue to apply pressure on the Kansas City Chiefs for that top spot in the AFC West. I am so much looking forward to this matchup between two very good ball clubs. But I just feel like in the end, Phillip Rivers, while he may have it rough sometimes, he may get hit early and often. I think he'll be able to make enough plays down the field when the time matters in the fourth quarter, which he's proven that he has the capability to do. He'll put his team over the top and the Bolts will come out victorious. The next matchup here is the 8-5-1 Pittsburgh Steelers at the New Orleans Saints, 12-2. This is a Sunday game, 4.25 p.m. Eastern time start. 
Pittsburgh, they enter this game coming off a massive victory over the New England Patriots. They finally snap that losing streak to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. But prior to that matchup, they have lost their previous three games to the Broncos, the Chargers, and the Raiders, but they got back on track. Against New England, Ben Roethlisberger put up 235 passing yards with two touchdowns, two interceptions, while Jalen Samuels, the rookie, managed 142 yards on the ground. And then how about another rookie for Pittsburgh who stepped up in crunch time, James Washington out of Oklahoma State, led Pittsburgh in receiving with three grabs for 65 yards. Now on that note, James Conner is on track to return this weekend. He's missed the last two games due to an ankle sprain, but all signs are pointing toward him returning to the starting lineup. So that will be a big boost for Pittsburgh's offense as we all know how heavily they relied on Connor all season long. And as for the Saints, they're 12-2 right now. They took a glaring loss to the Cowboys on November 29th, but since have taken out the Buccaneers 28-14 and the Panthers 12-9 in a really a low-scoring affair on Monday Night Football. But in the Panthers game, Drew Brees, he put up 203 yards and an interception while Kamara led the way with 67 yards on the ground and a touchdown. Now for some key matchups in this game, which should be another thrilling matchup between two high-powered offenses. I'm going to go into the trenches yet again. It's the Saints rushing attack against Pittsburgh's front seven. Now, the Saints, they currently rank 8th in rushing this season with Kamara leading the way with 860 yards on 187 carries with a 4.6 yards per carry average to go along with 12 touchdowns. Now, as a unit, the Saints, they're averaging 127 yards together and this includes Mark Ingram's contributions along with Taysom Hill, the Wildcat quarterback who gets in from time to time. Here's one development. The Saints may be playing without Max Unger, the glue to their offensive line as he's in the league's concussion protocol. So if he's unable to go, that's going to be a big loss for New Orleans moving forward. Now the Steelers, they rank 6th in stopping the run, they're limiting the opposition to 97 yards per game. They're front of Cam Hayward, Javon Hargrave, Stephon Tuitt. They've really proven to be a tough group to run on. Their ability with their strength and the versatility really of every single player that plays on that front. Now, of course, you want to mention Bud Dupree and TJ Watt, who are the edge rushers. And they do a good job in containing the outside and Primarily, they're pass rush specialists who do a heck of a job there, but they are very stingy in setting that edge. So this matchup right here, because as we've seen, Drew Brees has struggled the last couple weeks. I'll touch more on that here shortly. The importance of the Saints run game is, I think, more important now than it ever has been for this Saints team because they don't want to give Drew Brees a heavy workload at 39 years old. They don't want him to go to the air 35 to 40 times a game, and that has proven itself on the stat sheet all year long. And for Pittsburgh, you know, they're very stingy against the run, and if they can 
managed to shut down the Saints run game, which you got to give Carolina credit. That linebacking core of Luke Keekley, Thomas Davis, they showed up to play. And while, well, yes, Kamara ended up getting close to 70 yards and he scored on a 15, 20-yard touchdown run, but for the most part, they were able to shoot the gaps and keep them under containment. And so Pittsburgh, I think, will look to replicate that same blueprint Loading the box, trying to get Alvin Kamara and Mark Ingram frustrated with no rush lanes to take advantage of. And the Steelers, I got to tell you, without Unger, now this is, of course, assuming that he's unable to play. I wouldn't be surprised to see the Steelers bringing some pressure up the middle, up the A-gap, trying to exploit that weakness there. Now, another matchup here from the Saints offense and Pittsburgh's defense is Michael Thomas versus Joe Hayden. Good on good. One team's top wideout versus the other's top corner. Now, going back to Drew Brees, I'm not taking away anything from his impressive season as he's amassed 3,666 yards, 31 touchdowns, five interceptions, 74.9 completion percentage. However, he has not thrown for more than 203 yards since November 18th's game against the Eagles and has thrown an interception in every game since. Look at the stat sheet. He went for 171, four touchdowns, one interception on Thanksgiving against Atlanta. 127, one touchdown, one interception in Dallas. 201 yards, one touchdown, one interception against Tampa Bay. And then against Carolina in their most recent game, 203, one interception, no touchdowns. So you can see there's something brewing on there in the offense. And I just really feel like a lot of Drew Brees' struggles has to do with the way teams are taking away Michael Thomas. Because in the first portion of the season when Thomas was on a tear, that's when Drew Brees was chunking 300-400 yard games with 3-4 touchdowns. And that's really where he got these eye-popping numbers from. But since then, Thomas has gone quietly as he has not eclipsed 100 yards receiving since November 4th against the Rams. And that's when he had a monster outing for 211 yards. And also... He has not scored a touchdown since November 11th against the Eagles. With that being said, New Orleans, they still have the 11th ranked passing attack in the NFL and cannot be taken lightly. So I'm not going to sit here and say that Pittsburgh, you know, they should rest easy and come into the Superdome feeling confident that they can shut down Drew Brees. I mean, they're still a high-powered offense, but I'm just saying... The blueprint is out there for Pittsburgh to take. You limit Michael Thomas. You put Joe Hayden, your number one corner on him. And, you know, Hayden's riding on some momentum, coming down with that big-time interception against New England. He's playing some good football. He's healthy. And so you use a safety over the top. And if they can continue to really travel well with Michael Thomas and completely make him a non-factor on Sunday, it's going to make Drew Brees yet again have to rely on other targets. Benjamin Watson and Traquan Smith, the rookie, and Keith Kirkwood, you know, and, and, and these guys, they're very well capable of, so I'm not going to knock their talent, but, you know, when Thomas is not unable to get anything going or into a rhythm, not only does it 
hamper the Saints offense. It takes Drew Brees out of his rhythm. So keep an eye on that matchup. And the third and final matchup that I'm going to discuss here between the Saints and Steelers. Now I'm going to flip it over to Pittsburgh's offense and it's their passing attack against the Saints secondary. Now listen, say what you want about Pittsburgh and their inconsistent play this year, but their air attack has not been an issue for them. They currently possess the third ranked pass offense. They're averaging 312 yards per game. While the Saints, they rank 28th in pass defense. Although, I must say, they have shown some improvement from Eli Apple and their secondary as a whole the last couple of games. You saw Apple with that big interception against Carolina. Ben Roethlisberger, I know a lot of the talk has been Patrick Mahomes and Phillip Rivers, who's having a great season, and Breeze. But Roethlisberger, this guy, he's racked up 4,462 yards passing, 30 touchdowns, 15 interceptions to go along with the 66.9 completion percentage. If you give this guy time, he will pick you apart. And defending Antonio Brown and Juju Smith-Schuster is a headache for any defense. And that's something that Dennis Allen, Marshawn Lattimore, Eli Apple, P.J. Williams, those guys are going to have to deal with that double threat. And mind you, Eli Rogers is back in the lineup as they activated him onto their roster. You saw what he could do and consistently moving the chains and he has good chemistry with Big Ben, and then James Washington, who's now emerging as a threat for Pittsburgh. So there's a lot of different playmakers that you have to account for for this Pittsburgh offense, and I feel like this is going to be a matchup where Pittsburgh, if they want to get that upset in a hostile environment, they have a good chance with this passing attack and their explosiveness that they possess to torch New Orleans deep down the field. So this matchup could be the sway factor for Pittsburgh to take advantage of and really pick at Eli Apple and say, okay, you've been playing better, but let's go ahead and check you out with Antonio Brown on you, or let's go ahead and see if you can slow down Juju Smith-Schuster and the physical receiver that he is. So again, circle this one on your notes before you watch the game. But for my conclusion, I'm still going to pick the Saints to win this game. I still think that home crowd's going to benefit them. I still think Drew Brees is going to wake up from this haze and slumber at some point. We're a couple weeks away from the playoffs. The Saints, they're fighting to hang on to the number one seed. I feel like the urgency is there. Their defense with Cam Jordan, they're starting to put the clamps on on offenses, especially in what they can do in stuffing the run. They have the number one rush defense in the league. So seeing them go up against James Conner, assuming he's healthy, will be another interesting battle in the trenches. And that's because Pittsburgh, their offensive line, they're a bunch of hosses that can really generate immense push up front. So look for that to be a good one to watch unfold as well. But I think Thomas will find a way. I know he's probably going to get doubled for most of the game. But I think he snaps his touchdown streak. He gets in the end zone. Alvin Kamara and Ingram do a nice job of not only in the run game, but how about hurting Pittsburgh's defense in the pass? And this is a game where I could see Kamara going over 100 yards from scrimmage and really putting together another impactful game, which is something he's done 
many times this season. I give the Saints a 30-27 to victory over the Steelers in what should really feel like a playoff game between two teams that are fighting for very different purposes. The Steelers need a win to keep pace in the AFC North and fend off Baltimore, but I just feel like New Orleans, they're just too much on their home field, and for that reason, I give Drew Brees' team the W. Now the final matchup here that I'm going to break down is the 11-3 Kansas City Chiefs at the Seattle Seahawks, 8-6. This is Sunday night's game, 8.20 p.m. Eastern Time. Now the Chiefs, I've talked about it a couple of times, they're coming off a heartbreaking loss to the Los Angeles Chargers, which seems like it happened three weeks ago, but because this was a Thursday night game, Kansas City really is very fresh, or at least they should be with injuries, so that is a plus for Kansas City, and for the Seahawks, boy are they happy to get back on the gridiron after dropping such a disappointing game to their conference rival and divisional foe, the San Francisco 49ers. The Seahawks had a win streak going of their own. It was at four games. The vibe was good there for the Seahawks, and then they came out and basically laid an egg. Now, of course, San Francisco, they battled their butts off and they earned every bit of that win. So I'm not going to take that away from the Niners. But the Seahawks, you know, I think they're a better team with Russell Wilson. They just could not get the job done. And now here we are, primetime game. They're back at CenturyLink. And the Seahawks know that there must be a high level of urgency because they must win at least one of these next two games to at least solidify themselves with a playoff spot as they're currently the five seed. And for the Chiefs, they could have exited week 15 as a lock for that number one seed and home field advantage throughout the playoffs. But of course, they fell short and they blew a lead to the Los Angeles Chargers. Now they control their own destiny, so they understand the importance of them getting a hard-fought victory away from home. And so key matchups in this one. How about the Chiefs passing attack against the Seahawks secondary? By now, we are all aware of the Chiefs' explosive offense that features second-year gunslinger Patrick Mahomes, Tyree Kill, and Travis Kelsey. Kansas City, they have the second-ranked passing attack in the NFL behind only the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Mahomes has talked about every single day, it seems like, but his touchdown-to-interception ratio of 45-11 to 11 is remarkable. And, of course, he leads the NFL with 4,543 yards passing. And with no Kareem Hunt in Kansas City, Mahomes has had to take on more of a load in the past game as far as having to rely more on his big playmakers before he could give it to Kareem Hunt and a pass out in the flats. And Hunt had the explosiveness and the speed to turn it up for 20-30 yard gain. And now that's something that Damian Williams proved that he could do against the Chargers as he went over 100 yards from scrimmage. And he's been a very strong contributor since taking over. Now Spencer Ware continues to be day-to-day -day with the hamstring strain. His availability for Sunday night's game is still in question. He could get the green light, maybe not. If he doesn't, Damian Williams will be the number one back. So that's something to monitor. And as for Seattle... They started off pretty strong in defending the pass, and at one point, they were a top 10 unit as far as limiting teams for large amounts of yards through the air. Now they rank 20th in this category. They're allowing 247 yards per game. 
It's worth noting that this Seattle defense, they do fare better at home in front of their hostile fan base. So I think that's going to play a factor in their ability to slow down Mahomes. Trey Flowers and Shaquille Griffin, their two starting corners. They're both longer corners that specialize in press coverage under Ken Norton's defensive scheme. Because they're longer corners and they don't quite have the foot speed. I mean, Shaquille Griffin, I think this guy runs in the 4-4s, maybe 4-5. He's not as fast as Shaquem, but he does have some foot speed. But when you're facing Tyree Kill and even a guy like Demarcus Robinson, who is another guy that can stretch the field, Chris Conley, this is where I think Andy Reid and Mahomes, they dial up big shots down the field to test the Seattle defense that could be without one of their starting safeties, Bradley McDougald, who's battled knee soreness all season long, and he exited last week's game against San Francisco. In result, I can see Ken Norton countering that act by using a lot of two safety looks to help provide them cushion over the top because one thing that you do not want to do against Kansas City is give up the home run play, which is their specialty. So Tedrick Thompson and whether McDougald plays or not, they're both going to have to have a big game as far as playing the ball down the field and keeping these wideouts in front of them at all times. And here's another tall task, not just for Seattle, but for every single defense that has shared the same field with the Chiefs. It's how in the world are we going to slow down Travis Kelsey? Because that, folks, I think is the most difficult task for the Seahawks. No team has been able to keep him in check. You go back to when Kansas City played Baltimore and their number one ranked defense he still put up a stat line of seven receptions for 77 yards and a touchdown. So the Seahawks are going to have to get creative with the different looks that they're showing Travis Kelsey. We know Bobby Wagner, one of the best inside linebackers in the NFL. And K.J. Wright, they could get him back, who's missed a large majority of the season with a knee ailment. Maybe they use Bobby Wagner on Kelsey in a couple of shorter yardage situations, but I would just assume that they're going to use a lot of safeties and maybe Justin Coleman the slot corner maybe he'll come down and work on Travis Kelsey though there's a big size advantage in Kelsey's favor which more times than not anytime he's going toe-to-toe with a corner he's got that ability to win inside leverage and that's an easy pitch and catch for Mahomes so these two teams are really going to have to find a way it's more on Seattle's side I believe to try to mix up looks and change things in the secondary and generate a game plan that can at least make Mahomes work for his big yardage plays down the field. Because you know you're not going to be able to stop him entirely. We know Kansas City and how they operate. They're going to get these 30, 40, 50 yard gains. It's just a matter of, okay, you're going to do it, but how many times can I limit you from reaching that amount where it's just too easy and eventually could put this game away and out of reach for Russell Wilson. How about another matchup here for you? The Seahawks offensive line against Kansas City's pass rush. While the Seahawks lead the league in rushing with Chris Carson and Mike Davis and Rashad Penny, passing is still a large part of what they do on offense. Most of the time, Russell Wilson, he's dialing up long balls to Tyler Lockett or Doug Baldwin off play action passes, and he should have plenty of good looks against the Chiefs reeling secondary that ranks dead last in the NFL. 
The one key area that Kansas City does thrive in, however, is their dominant pass rush led by Chris Jones, who now has a sack in 10 straight games and 14 for the season, which is a rare feat for a player that plays his position in the interior of a defensive line. Jones has been nearly unblockable this season, and he single-handedly dominated the Chargers in Week 15. So that's one guy, Seattle, they're going to have to account for. And then, of course, in comes D. Ford and Justin Houston. So yes, Kansas City, their secondary, Orlando Skandrick, Kendall Fuller, who underwent surgery on his hand. The expectation is that he'll be able to play, but that's still a liability for them. So the Seahawks, as long as they can give Russell Wilson some time to survey the field, they're going to be in good shape. And I like them to handle this matchup pretty well. J.R. Sweezy, Justin Britt, George Fant, who's been filling in for DJ Fluker. And I think Fluker is questionable to play. He's missed the last couple of games. They'll have their hands full, no doubt, against Jones, trying to keep him out of Russell Wilson's face. But we have to remember that Russell Wilson can do something that Phillip Rivers couldn't which is evade pressure with his legs and create plays out of the pocket. So that's clearly going to sway in Seattle's favor. And the last matchup here. And it's a quarterback battle one-on-one. -on -one. Which quarterback, Russell Wilson or Patrick Mahomes, which one of these guys is going to limit the costly turnovers? I feel like the one QB that plays the most consistent, keeps the chains moving, and does not get rattled with a pass rush. think they're going to put their team over the top to win this game. Wilson, I know all the talks about Patty Mahomes, but he's quietly putting together another strong campaign. He's thrown for 3,025 yards, 31 touchdowns, six interceptions this season with a 66.3 completion percentage. He's really done it without any big-time number one receiving weapons. He's done it with a guy like Tyler Lockett and this guy is more of a slot receiver, Doug Baldwin. He's under six foot. They lost Jimmy Graham, so he doesn't have that big tight end target. And so he's done it with guys like DJ Moore and Nick Vanette over the middle, which just makes it so much more impressive. Again, Russell Wilson has benefited from this run game because now these teams are starting to load the box to stop Chris Carson and that's leaving up big time opportunities for Russell Wilson to exploit defenses and their coverages over the top for big touchdown plays and quick strikes down the field. Now for Mahomes, he has 11 interceptions on the season and of the 11, six of them have come on the road so almost or a little more than half of them, including three when they played the Los Angeles Rams, two when he played in Foxborough. But both of those teams do not have top-ranked pass defenses this season. So the Seahawks, they have a knack for finding the ball. So I do think that while they may lose their battles, but they could win the war. You know, if they come through and they're able to play fundamentally sound, both of these quarterbacks at the end of the day, they're dynamic, they're special in their own way. So it should make for an intriguing quarterback battle, one that will have two different skill sets, two different quarterbacks operating in different schemes and player personnel around them, but the quarterback that can put together sustainable drives, can keep the clock going, can manage the game very well, fend off the pressure that they're going to face, because you know both of these defenses, they're going to look to corral Wilson in the pocket, and Seattle's going to look to corral 
Mahomes in the pocket. So whichever quarterback can adapt the best to that is going to give their team the best chance to win. And in this one, I'm going to go with the underdog. I'm going to pick the Seattle Seahawks to win this game at CenturyLink Field. They're 4-2 when playing at home this year. I feel like Mahomes, yes, they're going to burn Seattle, as I mentioned, with some long balls down the field. But I just don't get the sense that Kansas City's secondary will be able to stop Wilson and their well-balanced rushing attack. I feel like Chris Carson will be able to grind out those four to five yard runs and look for them to run right at the edge rushers, go right at D Ford, go right at Justin Houston. In result, it'll give Seattle a lot more time of possession over Kansas City. Then it'll turn into ball control and it'll just be like hanging on for this Seattle defense, keeping everything out ahead of them. Do not give up the big play. And I like the Seahawks' chances to rebound in a monster game to knock off the Kansas City Chiefs and hand them their second consecutive loss by a score of 31-27. to The Seahawks move to 9-6, while the Kansas City Chiefs drop to 11-4 and fall to second in the AFC West. And this is, of course, based on my prediction that the Chargers will beat the Ravens. So that would make for some fallout for Kansas City and a lot of nervous fans. But that's the way I see it playing out. Again, both of these teams with a lot to play for. So there's the three matchups that I went in depth. Now here are the rest of the matchups. I'm going to go ahead and run by them and give you my score prediction. Here we go. The other Saturday game, 7-7 Redskins at the 8-6 Titans. Tennessee needs this game. I think their defense shuts down Josh Johnson. They win 23-13. Now into Sunday's slate of games, Bengals at Browns. Give me Cleveland 34-20. Baker Mayfield with another big-time performance. Buccaneers at the Cowboys. The Cowboys need to win this game or their final game to clinch the division. I like their chances to get it done at home, but they win a tight one, 27-20. The Vikings at the Lions. I think Minnesota, they found something with Kevin Stefanski. It won't be easy to go in and play a divisional opponent at this point, especially the Lions really don't have anything to play for. I think Minnesota squeaks out with a narrow victory, 26-23. The Bills on the road to Gillette. The Patriots, they've lost two straight games. I look for them to win 20-13, but Josh Allen's starting to play a little bit better, so be careful with that. The Packers at the Jets. Gimme Green Bay, 24-17. Look for Sam Darnold to put together a nice outing, just not enough against Aaron Rodgers. Texans at the Eagles. Gimme the upset. I think Philadelphia pulls off another big-time win. Confidence is at an all-time high after that stunning outcome there in Los Angeles. 24-20 over the Houston Texans. Falcons at Panthers. I think Carolina, they finally snapped this long losing streak. They win it 30-28. Giants at Colts. The Colts continue to roll along by putting up 35 on the Giants. They take it 35-24. Jaguars at Dolphins. The Battle of Florida. Give me the Dolphins in this one, 21-16. Rams at Cardinals. I like the Rams to finally get back on track, 30-14. Nothing's really going right for Arizona's offense. Their defense has been exploited. They're 3-11. At this point, probably playing for draft positioning. The Rams get a big-time win. Bears at the 49ers. I look for this to be a low-scoring game. Chicago comes out on top, 17-13. And Monday night's game, the 6-8 Broncos, who are eliminated from playoff contention 
at the Oakland Raiders, which could be the final game in Oakland. I'm going to give it to the Raiders and John Gruden's team. I think they find a way to win despite being the less talented team with a lot of players on injured reserve. I think they find a way to pull it out with the game-winning field goal 20-17 to to conclude week number 16. So there you have it, today's episode. I appreciate you tuning in. I will not have a podcast next Monday or Wednesday, but I'll be back here on the airwaves next Friday to preview Week 17's games and some more playoff implications. Until then, enjoy the holiday, have a Merry Christmas, and God bless. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.